Welcome to Redefining Reality, where we live at the intersection of wellness, business, and the birth of a global tribe. So relax your body-mind, open your heart, and recognize that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Beautiful people, powerful people, I'm Brian Hardy here coming to you with another episode of Redefining Reality from a balcony in Toronto, soaking up the summer energy while I can and excited to release this long overdue conversation with some soul brothers here in Toronto. And we'll get to that shortly and I trust it's going to be um, a good conversation. Lots of learning was had on my end and lots of sharing and deep heart-centered, nature-honoring, human connection. Really, that's what we are going for, and that's what we captured, and that's what we're looking to share with you. So stay tuned for that in just a minute. And first, a couple quick things I want to tell you about. The very first is that the Health Optimization Summit is happening. The first one ever is happening this September. The dates are, I believe, September 13th, 14th, 15th. This is in London, England. My man, Tim Gray, who was on the podcast back on, I think, episode 62 or so um, that I met at last year's Biohacking Summit. He is uh, sort of the CEO of this whole thing and brought together upgraded labs from Bulletproof as well as Paleo FX to create a unprecedented event in the UK. And although I unfortunately can't join for this year's festivities, I do want to spread the word and I do want to save you some bucks in case you're listening to this and you think, oh, I really want to go to that. That sounds fantastic. And I'm in the UK or nearby or will be in the UK. And so this is for you. And uh, the code it's going to save you 20% off of any ticket is Hardy. That's capital H-A-R-D-Y, just like my last name. And uh, that will save you 20% off. If you go through the link on my Instagram bio, the code should already be applied. And uh, yeah, tickets are moving fast. They're going to have some amazing people. People I've had on the podcast, as well as people I aspire to have on the podcast, such as Dave Asprey, really the, the grandfather of biohacking. Uh, Simland, who again I had on similar to the time of Tim because we all met at the same event. Dr. Nasha Winters, amazing author, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Check that out. Uh, ben, uh, what's, uh, I can never remember. Sorry, Ben. I apologize. BPAC Fitness on Instagram. Uh, ben Paklowski or something like that. He's a Toronto guy as well. Awesome dude. Really, really knowledgeable. You got Luke Story, the lifestylist. You got John Gray. The Mars Venus extraordinaire. Uh, he's a real master. And I saw him speak at Bulletproof two years ago or three years ago, and it blew my mind. Daryl Edwards, Ted Achacuso from Health Optimization Medicine, and many more. And so really it's going to be the who's who in the biohacking and health space, all in London, England, all for a great purpose to unify and to strengthen this community so everybody can achieve higher states of health and optimal well-being. So again, 
code HARDY will save you 20% off any tickets if you decide that you want to join. And I hope that you do. Also, want to mention that if your brain, if you're gearing up for the fall, the harvest season, and you're thinking, I want to be sharper, I want to be more present, I want to have more stable energy and staying power on tasks that are cognitively demanding, then the folks at Neurohacker Collective really have some stuff that you should check out, namely Qualia. They have a mind and a focus blend, both of which are fantastic for cognitively demanding days and can really dial you in to higher levels of focus uh, without the jitters. There's no jitters associated, associated with Qualia because it's not just a bunch of stimulants. It's not just a bunch of low-quality crap put into a capsule and sold for a massive markup. In fact, on your first order, they will cut the price in half just to allow you to try it um, and to get your hands on what is definitely one of the very top formulas in the Neurohacker and uh, body biohacking brain enhancing space. It's a very complete formula. It's very well formulated. They have an amazing paper, 26-page paper on their website over at neurohacker.com that you can read to find out how it is they went about putting this thing together. And what you can do is save an additional 15% with the code BHARDY, B-H-A-R-D-Y, when you're purchasing anything from Neurohacker. And again, the link to that you can find through my Instagram bio, or with the show notes for this episode, which will be over at brianhardy.ca forward slash Toronto Tribe. Toronto Tribe. Um, And uh, yeah, that's where everything that we talk about in today's episode will be linked. The the summit I just mentioned, the neurohacker stuff that I'm mentioning now, as well as the uh, Vitaging, mushrooms and adaptogens. You know I love Vitaging. You know that in addition to using things like qualia, I like to have things like reishi and cordyceps and ashwagandha and pine pollen around to use and to tonify my system on a regular basis, to support my energetic resilience on a regular basis. I think these things are very important. I think these things are what make the difference between just doing all right and truly thriving and uh, they've got a whole website full of mushrooms herbs adaptogens and other goodies and again you can save 10% on anything that you order through vitaging.ca with code hardy so I think that's all I want to mention to you oh last but not least I started a patreon page patreon is a way for listeners of and consumers of creative content to directly support the creator, in this case, myself. And uh, because doing this kind of work requires a lot of back um, sort of organizational work and editing and finding guests and putting content together, it's a lot. If If you're a content producer or creator, you know that it's a lot of work to put together a podcast um, or YouTube channel or whatever it is. And so I ask that if it feels good to you, and you appreciate this content, and you want to connect more, you want to have more insider updates and or personalized time with myself, where we can dive into your own health journey, then uh, the Patreon membership is a great way to do that. And I'll be very grateful to receive your support in whatever form it takes. Um, And to do that, you just go over to patreon.com forward slash Brian Hardy. And you'll find my page, and uh, you can connect with me there. 
So without further ado, I'm going to kick it off into our round table. This was myself with three other good friends, um, all of whom I'll link to their information on the page, brianhardy.ca forward slash Toronto Tribe. And we had a great discussion. It starts off a bit awkward and on my end a bit uh, cringy because we were talking a lot about Indigenous uh, rights and the Indigenous movements and uh, just really coming to terms with what's happened on the continent and where we're going as a collective and what makes sense and what honors us as individuals as well as nature and our human ancestry and allows us to create a more unified global family moving forward. So that's some of some of what we talk about. Uh, these three friends had, and you'll hear in the podcast, had recently been down to Guatemala for something called the Mayan Heart Festival, which was quite the adventure. And uh, we chat about that and, uh, and much more. So if you appreciate this episode, please share it, like it, comment it, leave a rating or review in iTunes to uh, increase our chances of being discovered by more people so they can tune in as well. And uh, as always, if you want to connect with me, you can do so through social media or via email to dive into your own personal health journey. I would be honored to assist you in that. And check out my YouTube. It's Brian Hardy 7 on YouTube. I'll be putting more and more content up there as well as more and more content through the podcast as the fall goes on because I want to connect with you guys more. I want to share more. I want to express more. I want to encourage you to do the same. Because your spirit and your heart will thank you dearly when you are expressing your song and you are sharing your truth and doing so with joy and passion and enthusiasm. So that's where I am. I hope you're doing well. It's been an intense summer, crazy full moon and new moon and lunar eclipse cycles and all kinds of fun stuff. But we're here. We're loving it. And uh, we're having a great time. So I want to uh, leave you with that. Enjoy this podcast, follow along, share, and I'm going to rock you out with uh, one of my favorite artists ever who just released a new album. If you didn't need more things to look up, after you've gone and you've got your nootropics and you've saved your 65% on your first order of Qualia, which I highly recommend you do ASAP because it's just fantastic stuff and you'll thank me later. After you do that and you get your Vitaging and all those other good things that you enjoy and that are going to serve you, Go on over to Spotify and check out Rob Ricardo. That's Ricardo with two C's. And he just released a new album called, uh, what's it called? Into the Fire, I believe it's called. And it's fantastic. This man speaks of the journey that a lot of us are on and does so in beautiful, melodic ways. So highly encourage you to check out him, support him, go see him in concert, buy his stuff online. And uh, we'll rock you out with a song of his called, oh, I just forgot what it's called. No. House of the Sun. It's called The House of the Sun by Rob Ricardo. Okay, can you tell that I didn't take my qualia today? That one slipped. My memory slipped on that one. Anywho, thank you for being here. This has been a long intro. I'm going to leave you now. Enjoy this episode. And uh, thank you so much for your support in any way that it comes through and for listening because it makes a huge difference in my life and uh, keeps this podcast going. Okay, catch you soon. For everyone listening, I want to have each of our guests introduce yourself, one thing you're grateful for, 
And uh, we'll start there. We'll keep it simple. We'll start with Ryan, and we'll go this way. Nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm Ryan, and I'm grateful for clean water. Nice. Mm. And uh, this sexy voice you're hearing right now is uh, Jesse Buck of the Chocolate Groove. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, And today, I am grateful for that, actually. That is probably what I'm most grateful for is chocolate and grooving today. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Hi, I'm Dave, and um, I'm grateful for having a breath on this day. Mm. Okay, so there's a lot that we're probably going to get into. Uh, there's a lot that we were getting into prior to going live there. Um, and it's, uh, it's a very interesting time. It's a time where things are changing very quickly, and there's... Um, so many, you know, crises happening on the planet um, and community crises and health crises and financial stuff going on. You know, there's just a lot of stress, a lot of transformation, it seems. Um, and I'm almost forgetting before we get into that, oh, yeah. on a lighter note, we are all sipping this delicious ceremonial cacao, courtesy of Jesse yeah. Buck. Yeah. And, uh, we were talking about its origin in the ingredients in this delicious elixir. And you were saying, oh, this is a special cacao. This is a special one. So tell us, why is it so special? Um, so uh, the last two years, I've gone to uh, San Marcos, Guatemala, the land of cacao, so it seems. Everyone's just getting high in cacao and doing all the things that you could possibly imagine, yoga, meditation, sound, dancing, and, and magical things like that. And there's this beautiful cooperative of women who make this delicious cacao, and they, they, they grow it themselves, they source it themselves. And uh, I actually brought back this huge kilogram of it, and I completely forgot about it. And then I was going through my brick of cacao bag, and I was like, oh my god, this magical brick of cacao never got consumed. So over the last two weeks, I've just been sharing that. And it's such delicious, soft flavor. It's almost got this, like, milk chocolatey vibe, you know? But it's definitely mm. not milk chocolate. Mm. And then this time, we actually added some uh, stevia for sweetener, which Ryan Kelly is having some flashbacks from a, from an angry muffin <laughs> session. But, uh, <laughs> traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the classics, the cinnamon, the ginger, the cayenne, the salt, a little bit of uh, maple sugar, and uh, some collagen protein. Actually, was recommended by Brian. From uh, one, of the, one of the times you make cacao and you're like, put some collagen in there, man. And I was like, damn, it's brilliant. So mm. I've been flowing with that. And that's the elixir of today. Beautiful. Mm. Well, it's certainly warming my belly. And uh, yeah, good medicine. You're back on Thank the cacao? You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Three months off helped to resensitize me. Wonderful. I, I'm still trying not to overdo it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not reacting with the intensity that I was before. Mm-hmm. Anywho, enough about food sensitivities. We're going to enjoy this cacao, and it's going to fuel this uh, conversation. Um, and there's a few things that I want to make sure we touch on. I want to touch on the Mayan heart adventure that y'all went on. Mm. And I think I want to start, though, with what we were chatting about just before this. And the theme that's sort of coming through to me is, um, and, and the theme of this show is always about wellness, business, and the birth of a global tribe. Right, those are sort of the three unifying factors mm-hmm. for the show, mm-hmm. and um, we're seeing that more and more. Right, so in the music festival, conscious festival scene, that's like a whole global tribe. People that get it, people that live in that reality most of the time, or more mm-hmm. time than 
you know, than they used to. And there's these burgeoning ways of living and organizing and sharing that are amazing. And at the same time, we've got the uh, the momentum and the contrast with uh, the... And please correct me if I'm wrong here, Dave, because I know Dave, being our Canadian, I'm not sure your background or even how to verse voice it. But... Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm Canadian. <laughs> no, no, exactly. So yeah. I would say I have a Canadian problem uh, <laughs> or a Canadian challenge. Um, but I'm Ongo Homeway um, mm. from Mother Earth. Uh, my home community under the colonization rule is Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we were chatting just before going live about the current situation in northern British Columbia, right? And uh, this whole pipeline thing that's going on. And for those who haven't tuned into this at all, you can find on uh, online some pretty uh, dramatic video of the RCMP and sort of militarization folks going in and, uh, you know, busting through a, a barricade that was set up to block a pipeline that uh, I didn't even know until just before this that there was certain people within the First Nations community that have voted for or, you know. So there's this this contrast. Um, and I'm curious, where do we... And I'll start with you, just because I think you probably have the most informed perspective. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, to have the historical context, as I stumble through these challenging topics, um, you're sharing about how governments have set up with the Indian Act to be able to potentially influence leadership or elderhood or uh, decision-making within a community. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. we're speaking about how you know, the elder generation is usually maybe more against these sorts of things and that the burgeoning middle class that wants to get out of poverty is like oh we need the you know we need the influx of economic mm-hmm. activity and the younger ones are like it's our future so i'd love to just get a bit of your perspective in sort of the context as to why these problems exist still mm. wow <laughs> we might need a whole couple <laughs> hours conversation on that but i guess um it, it, uh, with an attempt not to over oversimplify, um, but just to give enough context for the conversation, um, through the Indian Act um, is where the reserve system in Canada comes from. The reserve system um, was set up to take Indigenous people in what we now know as Canada or call Canada yeah. um, from their traditional territories and place in the small pockets of out of the way land. Um, the land itself wasn't always very good for agriculture or it wasn't very good for economic activity. Activity, They're placed in rocky, swampy places um, in most of the cases. And so what that does is put them in areas where they can then be managed. And all of their ability for economic participation taken away. And so quite literally, um, if I was to, for example, take all of you and say, now this space we're currently in is where you have to live. This space is where you get to make money from. You don't have access or connection to the outside world. I determine how much access and connection you have. You leave this space when I tell you it's okay to leave this space. And not only that, I will determine on what your governance system will look like. So I get to say, 
Ryan is going to be your leader. You guys vote amongst yourselves with the assistance of Marco being, you know, the deciding vote on who gets to be leader next. That becomes then your system. I tell you, you can't do it in your language. I tell you, you can't do it in your traditional governance systems. You have to do it the way I'm telling you to do it. So in a sense, when the government came in and established reserve systems, they, always, they also established what they call band councils. And band councils uh, operate on um, the majority votes, wins, and you have to be a member and a citizen of that band in order to run for band council as a counselor. But to run for chief under the Indian Act, you can be anyone. So you can come from downtown Toronto, go to a far remote community and still be eligible to run for a position of chief, not council, but chief. And so that system allows anyone to come in and run those communities. And oftentimes what happens is those communities or what we shall say, the voter turnout rates is often very low in terms of bank council elections. And because the communities are so small, um, sometimes with populations of maybe under 500 people in general, there are some communities with populations much bigger than that, but even the voter turnout in those communities are very small. And so what happened back in the day was when the traditional hereditary systems got kind of suppressed, they went underground um, because the Indian, things called Indian agents would come in. You could get go to jail for holding ceremony. Mm. You could go to jail for all kinds of things that today when we see occurring and we have privilege to see and take occurring, we're legal at one point, and so the consciousness in our community in terms of what's okay to do and how much we share becomes an issue. And so the hereditary and traditional folks kind of went underground, so to speak. Band councils came in, and they started to run things, and they received all of their authority and their powers from the federal government. And so anything band council has to do and can decide usually has to be approved by bank or federal government. Mm. And so... In essence, what you have is the federal government running a federal system through Indian people on reserves in the reserve system. Mm. And so sometimes these band councils or the structure of band councils put themselves at odds with their own communities who may members who may be on the more traditional side or hereditary side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a decision from a community um, that may have come through bank council and the federal government chooses to recognize that decision as that decision or the will of that community, that may not be all the truth for a particular community. Mm-hmm. And in some cases where this pipeline's occurring, you have hereditary people saying, no, we don't agree with that, even though bank councils for them may have said yes, um, which creates a conflict in the community, which is driven by the federal process. Mm-hmm. And so you get a knife thrown into a community um, and the community is then left to fight amongst itself to figure out what do we do. And so when it comes to questions of, of them signing on or band council signing on to a deal um, to allow pipeline through its area, um, it's because they're trying to manage, they're administering their own poverty, which is put in place by things like the Indian Act. So on the one hand, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Um and so what you have happening out west in a lot of places is people are looking for opportunities for economic participation to help people come out of poverty, to run programs and different things because the programs that are delivered in communities are decided upon by the people delivering the money, which is the feds or the province. And so you have to fit your people into somebody else's framework that doesn't work for your people. Mm-hmm. And so all the communities are really trying to do at the end of the day which most people can agree on is trying to come up with approaches designed by them, implemented by them, with the ability to then roll out for the benefit of their own community. 
Um, so that's kind of some of the dynamics at play. Mm-hmm. And so when you have communities wishing to um, agree to certain things, it's because it's an access or a point of access to revenue that isn't controlled by the government. Mm. So it's like attempting to reclaim sovereignty and to reclaim autonomy, in a sense. Yeah. Right? After all these years when that was taken away. Yeah. Right, very systematically taken away. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is an opportunity for us to at least get some of that back. Some of it, yeah, if not as much as we can. I mean, mm. our goals or the, the struggle has been to regain sovereignty in a way that it was prior to things like institutional poverty, institutionalized poverty mm-hmm. and this thing called Canada um, and things called provinces and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, because I, I really want people to understand that my people were not poor. We were wealthy and how we managed and, and, and utilized wealth wasn't just on the dollar or the, or the monetary version of what we assume wealth. Mm-hmm. It was emotional wealth, it was spiritual wealth, it was physical wealth, and it was mental wealth. And so that's what wealth looks like and it's depending on how you manage that and share that amongst community with the idea that we look for seven generations back for seven generations to the future. So what we do now isn't for today, it's always for tomorrow. Mm. And so the idea of wealth and how you distribute and share in wealth becomes a different different paradigm than what we have today in this capitalist system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I've come to appreciate, particularly um, about, you know, the, the community that connected us all through Toronto right is that i look around and there's a lot of younger people a lot of people that don't necessarily have the most financial abundance and yet the richness of relationship even in this you know put together modern way of connecting and sharing Mm -hmm. healing sharing meditation sharing dance you know sharing all these different things and sort of creating new ceremony Mm -hmm. right for our generations that didn't have anything like of that growing up and i've always thought to myself like, I'm, I, I am rich, right? Someone says, oh, like, you're broke or something. Or if I hear my friends saying, oh, I'm broke. It's like, no, you're not. It's like, man, you're rich. You have friends and people around you that can support you and can, in you know, uh, contribute to your life. And, you know, it's it's hard to even conceptualize, I think, the, the true wealth of a thriving indigenous community mm-hmm. prior to, you know, expansion and colonialization because mm-hmm. we just don't have the context, right? I don't have the context. And you, you get glimpses of it and you think, oh, that's such a more human way to live mm-hmm. is how I experienced it with, with these little glimpses. And so um, that's why I'm endlessly fascinated and inspired by hearing these stories and hearing of people who are, uh, reclaiming their own indigenous identity and reconnecting to the earth to try and develop, hopefully sooner than later, more sustainable options than mm-hmm. pipelines and you know nuclear power plants or whatever the things are that are driving you know energy consumption and production and mm-hmm. just economic activity in general, mm-hmm. right? Um, I would like to suggest we even take that a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, because actually Ryan and I were having a pretty cool conversation on the way here. Mm-hmm. And this this idea like um and I you know this idea of what is community, what is family and how do we self-define, how do we where is our affinity and where do we find that and how do we build that? I think 
is a part of, you know, we, I keep hearing in certain communities like we're awaking, we're coming out of our slumber or we're not sleeping anymore. And part of part of that journey is, is reconnecting to earth and having um, that connection to earth and getting out of the labels in which we try to fit ourselves into mm. and what pre-existed to those things. And so mm. even when I hear indigenous, that, that that's a construct. Oh yeah, right. You know, and like, how do I fit into that? And then, how do somebody else who is maybe not the same race as I, but is earth connected, how they identify with indigenous? And where is that accepted? Where is it not? Mm. How does the label apply, and when doesn't it? And who's then filtering that definition? And so, what I would like to suggest is, prior to all of that, prior to all of that, is we're human beings. Human beings that come in, come from the cosmos, I like to think, into this earth through portals. We are, you know, we all search for portals and, and vortexes, and we talk that language and, and kind come up with different kinds of ways, but we're surrounded by them. We call them our mothers. We call them our sisters. We call them our aunties. call them our daughters. There are portals to this world. And we were surrounded by portals every single freaking day, mm. you know. And so we don't have to search very far to find that magic. <laughs> but part of the struggle, I think, is we get too lost in definitions, in categories, in silos, in groups, mm. and different things. Mm -hmm. When ultimately, at the core of it, before any of that, is we're human beings, mm -hmm. right? And so I think part of the challenge. <laughs> is getting as back close to that human beingness as we can. Mm -hmm. And so the opportunity when it comes to things, when I hear about indigenous, and I don't, I fit into, or try to fit into this idea of indigenous based on the person I'm talking to's knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right, so that's when you said Canadian. Well, no, I'm not Canadian. I was here prior to Canada, or my people were. Mm -hmm. But I was also prior here to being indigenous. I was here prior to being Ongohongwe. Ultimately, I'm a human being. And that's mm -hmm. where my roots are as an, a human being. And so I would suggest that all my relations of the two-legged variety, we're all human beings. Mm -hmm. And how we relate to the natural world in terms of four-legged beings, our relations, our wing relations, our insect relations, then becomes a broader conversation that we can all have. Because the moment we start to try and fit us into existing concepts, I think we start to fall into the trap at some point of ending up exactly where we're starting from. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to suggest that, is that you know, we find our way back to being earth-based, human-connected beings. Mm. Yeah, and it's foundational. Mm -hmm. Like back to the foundational acceptance, right? And um, yeah, speaking to, to the idea that that's like it's, there's this dehumanizing quality, right? Like, and it's it's like it's societal, it's structural, right? Like this kind of like like how poverty is a social structure, mm -hmm. and uh, you know when you you're talking about how like the pe the indigenous people they want to just be empowered, right? Like uh, to have financial freedom, but but it's almost like working within that societal structure that creates poverty to do that is like, like there's this more foundational truth, which I feel like is, you know, 
like it's underneath like all of this conditioning right like of mm-hmm. this society mm-hmm. the the truth of like our connection to nature our connection to each other to our to our own humanity right and 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 to acknowledging each other's humanity right and and our togetherness in that mm-hmm. yeah because part of the part of the opportunity with that is if, if i get to be seen as a human being i ain't got to work through all your definitions of what you think i am mm-hmm. right so if i if you say to me why well, you're indigenous mm-hmm. well then now i got to work through all your knowledge of what indigenous is or isn't yeah, yeah. but if i'm a human being then i get we get to be on the same level yeah you know and so that when we talk about poverty and fighting our way out of poverty and it gets back to sovereignty you know expressing your personal sovereignties to make choices for yourself like fundamentally to make choices and Mm -hmm. to be able to exercise Mm -hmm. those choices is where i think it's at and so when we talk about this this system in which is the reserve system and this conversation around pipelines Mm -hmm. like it's all structural colonization and it's not just happening to what we call indigenous communities, it's happening to non-indigenous communities too. Mm-hmm. Because it's affecting your water as well. The water's not just indigenous <laughs> water. It's all of our water. We still mm. got to realize the air, we still all breathe the same air. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, the last time I checked in this room, my breath is your breath. Mm. It's your breath. It's your breath. I don't get to siphon off a certain amount of air for just for me. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and when we get back to that place of, yeah, the water I drink has eons of history in it and life in it, and it's just as important to me as it is to you and to you and to you. Mm-hmm. Then we all got to look after it mm-hmm. because we're all going to suffer if we don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's what made Standing Rock explode the way it did and go so viral because it was just a simple message: of water is life. Mm-hmm. Like it's like. It's life. We were made up mostly of water. We come from water. Water is like yeah. one of the biggest building bro- blocks of this planet. And um, it's something that like everyone I think can like resonate with, you know, like the whole concept of like human beingness. We're just simple human beings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at that level, you know, there is this beautiful camaraderie, camaraderie and this, this simple security of just knowingness of yeah. equality. Yeah. And I think that's like kind of been lost in time you know because of colonization and in all of the ways over the last 2000 years that's, that's happened and and all of the genocides that have taken place throughout mm-hmm. this time and you know and just like flowing into like the mind heart you know like and just like the intention that the festival actually had in you know, in us going there was kind of like to initiate more awareness around that human beingness mm-hmm. <laughs> the simplicity you know and and the unity that's like inevitably needs to take place for us to really work together and to to save humanity save us from ourselves of destroying this beautiful place and making it inhabitable for us to exist within mm-hmm. so yeah water is life man yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and i would even you know suggest for consideration that um if we go back to you know it's all an issue of political correctness and what's appropriate and inappropriate in terms of what you call peoples Mm -hmm. the world over um but in you know my my lived experience it almost feels like calling me an indian is giving the structure license to treat me less than human being Mm -hmm. you know and i i think when we talk about you know that the reclamation and resilience it's really about trying to reestablish our place as human beings Mm -hmm. out from all the labels and, you know, when I was talking with Jesse on a dance floor one night, 
And he said, well, I'm going to this festival and it's going to be this and it's going to be that. And I was like, well, what's it called? And he said, mine heart. And I said, I'm in, I'm going. As soon as I heard heart, I was like, I got to be there. Mm. I don't even know where it is, but I'm going. Mm. I'm going. And that's how this conversation got started with mine heart festival. Yeah. Just, yeah. I heard heart and it's like, that's the journey. That's where we got to go is to the heart. Yeah. We're so stuck in our freaking heads that yeah. we miss the connection to heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially, I don't want to say especially, screw that. But as a male, as a male identified human being, I've been so pushed into my head and mm. away from my heart that my journey is now to my heart. <sighs> yeah, I feel right. Yeah, and yeah, how do I connect totally. these two? How yeah. do I open that up more readily available on every single day? I totally agree. And so, yeah. That's the work, man. That's definitely the work. And you know, that's why I share like the medicine of cacao, right? That like, that's mm. the totally the intention, you know, is to drop from the mind into the heart, into yeah. the body, into the, the space of feelings and the feeling of connectedness to yourself and all things through that space of the heart. Yeah. Yeah. So beautiful. It really was a heart opening journey too. Like it ended up being like, like I had so much. We're going deep now, guys. Buckle up. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, I had so much kind of confusion going into that experience. Like when we were going into that journey and, um, I had so much confusion about my direction, about like, what's my purpose about where I'm going. And I felt like I was just all over the map. You know, and I, to the point where I didn't even know if, I, like, I was going to go or I was deciding. Ryan pulled out, like, three times. Like, should I go? Should I not go? We, we were about to leave, and I'm like, I'm out. I'm out, Jesse. He's the one that convinced me to go, and then he pulled out three yeah, times yeah. in the span of, like, a week. Yeah, I convinced Jesse, and then mm. I, I backed out, and then I actually ended up going. Um, and I think it spoke, um, I think it spoke to um, a wider issue, a broader issue, is the is the resistance to the heart, right? Like people, uh, like you're saying about being male identified and coming back to the heart, right? I think that's an important point Mm -hmm. because men are so conditioned to close their heart, to close their feelings, to ignore their heart, to just burn through, uh, you know, through pain and just experience it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what men are supposed to do according to this cultural conditioning, right? of it and arguably that is like a colonial kind of like mentality actually mm-hmm. that that kind of patriarchal uh, male dominant idea and so my resistance it felt very like symbolic of that of my own resistance uh but also broadly men in general like often resist that heart and uh sharing their feelings and mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like how commonly have you heard like you know women they're just like upset because men won't just you know be say how they feel and and like and and be vulnerable right and um so because that that's exactly what the trip called on from me is to just be vulnerable and to live from the heart it's exactly what it called and it feels like yeah there's some kind of deeper need for that in the mm-hmm. world right now you know, there's a deeper need for that mm-hmm. because we're otherwise we're going to just tear each other apart. You know, it seems if people can't just <sighs> let go of all these, this stress and this mm. anger and this, you know, this mental kind of like uh complex, mm-hmm. and these mm-hmm. mental complexes that people get stuck in of like, we were even talking about this earlier, Dave, about, about people 
them believing that the way that feels best for them is the right way. Mm. It's innately right. But well, it's right for them, but that doesn't mean it's right for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. like, there's no just way that's right for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right? No, because so. it's all dependent on how you're raised, right? Yeah. What you're brought up into and what you believe and what you hold mm-hmm. as valuable, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, you know, speaking of the whole like waking up and connecting and reconnecting. And, you know, the, 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 the heart opening effects of certain medicines, right? Cacao being one of those medicines, right? Other things like MDMA being one of those medicines that can open the heart, connect you to the heart, you know, Damiana, these different herbs and even yoga, right? As a simple way, just moving and breathing in a way to open yourself up, right? Open the chest, roll the shoulders down, um, which was my initial entry point into all of this, mm-hmm. you know, it was like cannabis and yoga. Me too. To 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 make me even mm. aware that I was living in my head completely. Yeah. Right. Because mm. when you when you're in this like uh, the civil the colonial, I see it as the momentum of colonial trauma essentially, mm. right? That's driven us mm. into our heads as a way to try and survive and like make sense of what the fuck is going on. Uh, and so yeah. when you finally slow down. And breathe, learn to breathe properly, which shouldn't really be a thing. You have to learn to breathe. Mm-hmm. What the? F- <laughs> what? what? Like, come on! This shows, <laughs> how, this shows how disconnected mm. we've we've become as a culture, right? Mm. Um, and yet, where the opportunities lie, mm-hmm. and how so much wisdom of the past from any tradition that I've come across speaks to. The heart, heart, the heart is an oracle. The heart has wisdom. Mm-hmm. You know, God speaks through the heart. Love is the universal language, all these different things. Um, and so finding new ways, finding ways that are both, and you know, mind you, this might be um, counterintuitive slightly, depending on what we're just speaking of in terms of like, you know, raising up uh, financial abundance within mm-hmm. a system that is structurally uh suppressive or or repressive because i think about things like these festivals and of course they're economic entities right and to make them happen takes resources Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and takes cash and people and and time and energy um and so it's like it feels like a stepping stone into an awareness of where we need to go Mm. and yet there's a there's a more like you said foundational human way to subvert all of that and ideally live in some more sustainable fashion mm. and i don't even know where that's necessarily going or if that sparks anything in anyone um or if there's anything from the journey itself that stands out because i mean i was meant i intended on going with y'all yeah. when i first heard about it through our friend lyle yep. who makes all this magic happen at festivals i was like oh my god that sounds amazing like to call solstice fire ceremony like it was it was so potent yeah and then there was just so many things going on in my own life and like financial constraints and time constraints and it's christmas time and i just had my knee injected with platelet-rich plasma so i'm not supposed to like really do a lot on it for six weeks i'm like am i gonna hike through the jungle and like all this stuff and like dance on this knee and all these different things i didn't end up going i didn't end up going It's, it's the short the short of it all um but I want to know, like, some highlights or lowlights. Oh, yeah. Or lessons oh, learned. Yeah. Lessons learned. Like, <laughs> full spectrum. Full spectrum. I, I almost feel like, let's just talk about Takao, man. Let's just go right yes. to, like, our experience no. of, like, 
Yeah, because that was like the peak, peak, peak. Everything else is like kind of. Well, we we gotta give some context, context and build up here, Jesse. Okay. Take us away. <laughs> you wanna take the sweetest, the sweetest, juiciest yeah. part of it? Well, and just drop it right away. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, what what's the? Yeah, what do you want? What do you feel like? Well, a little bit of context. A little bit of context. Yeah, let's, let's not blow our load too fast. Yeah, let's like share the story. <laughs> yeah, let's share our stories. Okay. You know, or maybe let's just meander. Let's meander through it all. Yeah, meander through uh through the the journey. We can go backwards, forward, sideways. Yeah. yeah. What stands up? What, what stands out? Yeah, I mean, um, just going into it, there was all this, there was all this excitement, right? And like I, um, I said, there were all these blocks, right? There were all these weird, kind of like logistical errors that kept coming up, going into it, and then right up till we got there, even right, like we lost. Finally, we lost our bags, actually, if you recall. Yep. We lost our bags on the way there, actually. And, all uh, your stuff? Do you have, like, Yeah, yeah. Not all, all of our actually, stuff. Not all of the, our stuff. The only thing we unimportant had stuff. were our instruments. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. all we had. All our check bags never made it. But mm. Dave had his drum. I had crystal bowls and all my gongs and such. Yeah. Ryan had his guitar. guitar. Yeah. So that, that became very symbolic to me. Mm. Of like, cause I feel like I'm a musician and that's like my purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I really saw, you know, how I resist just accepting that. That was like one of the lessons for me it was like, wow, it's my own resistance keeping me back. Right. It's my own resistance. And, um, and so we kind of just took it with a grain of, we were just laughing we, it was hilarious, actually. It was hilarious. <laughs> Not at first, though. No, I mean... It was like, oh, shit, what are we going to do now? We're so screwed without our stuff. Yeah, uh, there was some... We were trying because to Because we, we, we landed in Belize, and we were going into another country, Guatemala, yeah. and then going into the jungle to another city to be yeah. way far away from that city in the middle of the jungle. For yeah. Festival, so. so, I mean, they ended up just sending our bags to Belize, for, uh, to Guatemala for us, like from Belize to Guatemala, when they did arrive. The next day, it was like Christmas, because <laughs> we had to so go through almost. a moment of being pissed. Like yeah, we yeah. were pissed, right? Yeah. But it was, it was not fun. So just jumping in, like once once we got to Guatemala and once we were like kind of with people from the festival, we started sinking into like there was a there was a whole vibe that we were just sinking into, and and once we got on that land, like we took the bus mm-hmm. um, from Belize to to Guatemala. El Petin in uh, northern Guatemala. It's near Tikal, which the the whole festival is based around this this fire ceremony, which was going to be at Tikal on the winter solstice. Mm-hmm. And um, so, as soon as we got to that land, I felt this deep, deep um, feeling of like this is I'm supposed to be here. There's a reason I came here, and I didn't. I was so confused going into it, but as soon as I was there. I understood, like, oh, yeah, there's a reason I'm here. Because I started having conversations with people. I started having f- just feelings connecting to the water around this beautiful lake. Mm. Um, and just there was a magic to it that I couldn't really describe, you know, because every conversation I was have, people were speaking to to something that was happening in my life, to something that was happening inside of me. Every conversation I had, like everything that I had been experienced leading up to the festival, people were saying that they were experiencing that. Mm. 
and it got to the point where I just I just had to surrender because I as I tried to mentally analyze what was happening, I just couldn't anymore because every conversation I had with dozens of people mm. were speaking exactly to to some mm. part of me or something that was going on with me, like specific things, mm. you know, specific details, feelings, um, the logistical problems leading up to the festival. I spoke to dozens of people who had the exact same experience leading up to the festival, mm. that they were confused. They didn't know they were going to back out. They didn't, they didn't want to like disrupt their life, but then they just knew that they had to go for some reason. And it was, it was uncanny, mm-hmm. you know, like, like speaking to so many who had that exact same experience. Right. Mm. And it really reaffirmed that like, you know, there's a reason yeah. for being here. Right. That's yeah. beyond my understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very special land. Very mm. sacred land. Yeah. Well, Even Jesse too. Remember like there was shit happening with you before we left too. Remember that fine or something or whatever you got? Oh, yeah. It was just a bunch of shit going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh, I can't go. I can't go. I can't afford it. It's way too much. I'm going to be going on this other journey, which I'm leaving for in two days. And I was like, I can't do both. It makes no sense. Can't leave the groove. All these different blocks. And then Amaya was like, yeah, like, I'll pay you like a little bit to come. I was like, okay, that's like, that's pretty good. Flights are still like 1400 bucks. I'm like, oh, man, this is not going to happen. And then a week before... Um, really, like a week before we were gonna leave, we basically at Chocolate Groove. Ryan's like, dude, there's this flight that's like four hundred dollars. <laughs> Let's just buy it. <laughs> I was like, Dave, come to the back room. We're gonna buy these tickets, and you know, we did it. We bought the tickets, and we we dove in, and and it was interesting because I was in this like space of lack of abundance of like, well, I can't, I can't go for all these reasons, and then that kind of opened up as like, oh, it's kind of a possibility. I'll I'll do it. And then in the span of a week, I got like a five hundred dollar ticket for having my phone in my hand when I was driving, and then I got a, and then my car got towed, yeah. and I had to pay. It was just like, oh wow, all the money I just saved, I ended up spending anyway. So, let's just like look at that for a second. Okay, so the universe is telling me that one, it doesn't matter when something's in alignment and there's something that's true for you to experience. Like you have to just go and not let money you know, define whether or not you go or not. Cause mm. I think that that construct just is limiting. And, uh, it was another lesson of just like, it's always possible. There's always a way, you know, I was just telling Ryan, I was like, dude, come to Costa Rica because like, just get another credit card. <laughs> just <laughs> blow in the debt land. You know, like we're in a system that's trying to put us in debt, but it's also giving us an opportunity to really do anything with that, with that, op- with that mm. money. So mm. yeah, for me, it was, it was quite an interesting thing, but yeah, once we were there and we were on the land and we were meeting the people and, mm-hmm. you know, we were like offering our services to the event, which was hilarious because I remember contacting Amaya like three days before the festival being like, Hey man, like, so what's going on with the cacao? You know, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, there's there's no cacao." I was like, "What?" <laughs> At the Mayan Heart Festival, you're not gonna have cacao. So, I ended up getting a blender and a kettle and loaded up my bag, and uh, we went down with the intention of like serving up cacao with a little cacao elixir. And I was really blessed because the the creator and the organizer of the Cosmic Convergence Festival, which happens um, on New Year's in uh, Guatemala by Lake Atitlan, he ended up driving all the way up 
to this festival to deliver us 25 pounds of, of cacao so we could be serving up cacao lectures for everyone, which was amazing because then we had access to like unlimited cacao the entire weekend. And it was just amazing to have this like elixir bar where people will come and we just get into like deep conversations and, you know, wisdom sharing. And, and that, that for me was like one of the biggest highlights was, was, was kind of like being in that energy and uh, and holding that down, which, you know, like, you know, you guys are both like a part of the Chocolate Groove family. You guys are all a part of the Chocolate Groove family. So it's like, mm-hmm. it was cool that we got to like share that and that aligned, yeah. which is interesting because I met Lyle when I did a Cosmic Cafe and it was what started me on this whole like, oh, maybe I'll do Cacao Cafe. You know, that seems like this interesting, like a place for people to indulge and like, you know, elevate and you know invigorate and, and awaken without you know hard drugs or alcohol so it was this beautiful opportunity to share and and just to be able to give cacao to like all the mayan elders and you know like just to hold that was was such a peak such a peak Mm. yeah yeah for sure and then in terms of the actual fire ceremony right Mm. the whole and from the story that i got speaking with amaya who's the creator or founder or facilitator i don't know what he would call himself you know lead of this thing um, you know, he, he was laying on some really, really heavy stuff about how so much of the destabilization of Guatemala by the United States and the CIA and all those different mm-hmm. things that have happened was the real reason was to stop the Mayan fire ceremonies from continuing. Mm-hmm. And it made sense when he said that to me, having experienced one in the summertime at the Cannibalist mm-hmm. Festival. In Ontario here, um, which was one of the most powerful ceremonies I've ever been part of, and the the richness and the intention and the understanding of the elements and the different energies and how it all works together. And I've heard, you know, the Mayans referred to as the timekeepers, right? They've like mastered the art of keeping time and watching the stars and understanding cycles and Mm -hmm. all these amazing things, all these magical things. Mm -hmm. And so that was the... The, the center point, right, that was organizing this festival around it was doing that ceremony in this sacred spot, you know, and there's many of these temple areas all across Central and South America that are discovered or not discovered yet. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I would love to have the paint, the picture painted. I, I mean, I saw some pictures on Facebook, yeah. but to get more of the first hand account of, okay, what was it like? like what was that? getting there and that whole unfolding like it's interesting you, you bring that up uh, brian because you know part of the the conversation that we started out with around colonization and, and um government suppression of indigenous people is still happening in guatemala yeah. oh yeah and you know like and you know i guess the other thing i want to bring up too is is you know um i guess to keep this integrity in this conversation and we're talking about cacao, you know, which has been a medicine used by indigenous communities in Guatemala, South America, what is now known as Guatemala, mm-hmm. um, for eons and a long time. And so, you know, as I, I don't even like that, <laughs> as as an indigenous person and being an indigenous people, I don't know about that whole thing. But mm-hmm. being down there and interacting with some indigenous Guatemalans in, in other circles and other spheres around this conversation of cacao. And how mm-hmm. cacao, the medicine of cacao is being spread and this issue of white privilege, mm-hmm. right? And Jesse and I had a real wonderful conversation ab- about that. 
And I think, you know, if we can continue to have those kind of conversations about where colonization still plays, how we interact with colonization, how, you know, we're promoting certain approaches or models without even knowingly doing it, but then at least challenging ourselves and how we're participating in those ways, I think are good conversations to have. Mm. And so Jesse and I had a good conversation around that and it helped me understand where he comes from and, and why he's trying to do that and why I can support you know, the things that we're trying to do in, at least in Toronto, in terms of building community, bringing people together. Um, because cacao has a way of doing that. It has a spirit about it that mm. aside from the actual physical abilities of it helping you sink into your heart, it has emotional and, and spiritual pro- values to it that mm. I never really got until being down there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there were times... Um, um, when we did it, we we did a little cacao cafe down there. Essentially, what was the blender, hot water, and a picnic table? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and the the zero one love activation tattoo, and the love activation oh, yeah. tattoo, love activation. But zero, I got to tell one. you, the the connections that occurred when we set that up was unbelievable. I shouldn't mm. say that was believable. Remarkable <laughs> and remarkable, yeah. and completely received. Yeah, like people met from all the parts of the world around those picnic tables, drinking cacao, and we were talking deep shit with yeah. each other, like our own stuff, their stuff, mm. at those tables, and that really showed me the spirit and the strength of this medicine. Yeah, and so part of the reason I want to bring this up is there is an indigenous history to cacao that has through various you know mechanisms of colonization has in some parts been taken out of their hands and used in other ways which is bad on the one hand and so i encourage that whenever this you know the medicine is being used find a way to help the indigenous communities from where mm-hmm. it comes from mm-hmm. or the land that it comes from um, recognizing all those pieces are there and I would certainly encourage us not to advance colonization any more than we have to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to put that in there. Mm. You're saying that. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, if I could, uh, you know, just speak to that that kind of arcing theme a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. As like as like a white person being in Guatemala, like a, you know, we're all human beings, but yeah, my skin is white, <laughs> like light skin, and. Uh, you know, being down there in Guatemala and we're like selling cacao and, you know, there were kind of like, there was this kind of questioning for me of like, should I be doing this? Like, is this, you know, is this okay? Like, like, am I crossing some kind of line? Maybe for myself, like, am I betraying my own integrity by like, you know, like selling cacao and then, but, you know, I feel like, like similarly to Dave, I I ha- I didn't really understand the cacao until going down to Guatemala. Like there was like a level that I wasn't really kind of getting it. Like you know, I had had some, I've had cacao. I've had beautiful feelings associated with it and wonderful, um, you know, experiences. But I didn't understand. I think the depth of how powerful cacao is and how powerful it is as a medicine right and uh because i felt when i was sharing with people i was so i felt so grateful in in moments to be sharing it because i saw how it was really inspiring people like joy in people 
Mm. And, and so I feel like it's just a different way to get that medicine to people that to people who might not be receptive to it in another way. I mean, that, that was something that came up for me. Uh, but yeah, I did, I did struggle with my own kind of like questioning of, of the whole thing. And then, um, you know, it brings up questions of like, well, you know, what is ceremony? Who has, like, like who has access to like, uh, like, do people have like ownership over things? You know what I mean? Like, do people have ownership over like a medicine, for example, over how it's used? It's like a plant, right? Like from the earth, right? And there was a time when no one used it. So, uh, yeah, it's just it's just a debate I go through, uh, not just about cacao, but I guess about like cultural practices in general, like about cultural practices in general um, of like what makes it appropriate? What makes it inappropriate? Is it like it's person to person, right? Like because each person has a different perspective and experience, even from from each culture. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Um, you know, yeah, just, just kind of like riffing on that. Right. Well, well, it's interesting. Cause like, yeah, I, I had an expectation that there would be some local Guatemalans who'd be running their own cacao offering, right. And selling beans and such at this festival. But I guess, cause you know, Amaya didn't have such a huge team and a lot of that you know it's a first year festival and they kind of just threw it together in a lot of ways there were a lot of like missing pieces of the puzzle when we were at the festival like everything was amazing when it was in flow but you could tell that there was like some challenges that his team was facing um so yeah like when i first thought about that festival i heard about it i was like oh the cacao cafe but i was like no no no. like they're, they're gonna have someone taking care of that and then when we found out like two days before that it wasn't happening mm-hmm. and I was just like, wow, like now the universe is kind of like, do it, do that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, like one of the reasons why I feel so inspired to share it is because their culture is so crushed, has been so crushed. Like they've been through, you know, the initial colonization, which, which happened for the last like 600 years. And then you also have the most recent genocide that happened for 30 years, like maybe 25 years ago um, where the, you know, the Dole Fruit Company owned a whole big chunk of Guatemala, Mm -hmm. what is now Guatemala. And the government basically went, okay, you know, we're going to buy this land back from you. We're going to give it to our people. We're going to start cultivating our own resources. And of course the Dole Fruit Company, which is backed by the United States did not like that and basically assassinated their president, put in their own president, you know, elected president. And then he turned the military against the people. The people cultivated a guerrilla army, you know, Mm -hmm. of like locals resistance. And the guerrillas became, it just got so twisted that basically the, the people were killing each other. The army was killing the people. People were killing the army all to defend this fucking dole fruit company bullshit. Well, yeah, 200,000 people died. Yeah. And most Mm. of them were indigenous Guatemalan people. Yeah. 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 So there, there's a, there's a lot of like sadness there. And for me, like, you know, I was actually having like nightmares, uh, like a week before I left about going to the mine, mine fire ceremony. And then like all the local indigenous people like, why are these like white people here? Mm. Like, ah, you know, there's still a pain. 
that I've experienced when I'm in San Marcos. Like the locals are kind of pissed because here we are with our smartphones and our, you know, our wallets full of credit cards and stuff. And you know, that's why so many ro- robberies happen because they're just like, you know, if I, if I rob this person with, with my machete that I have on me anyways, then I could feed my family for a year. And it's like, well, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, this isn't good. Like I wish there was some way we could balance this all out. But when I was there, uh, you know, when I was having these nightmares about like them, like basically throwing us in the fire, that was my nightmare. I, I, mm. I literally, be, and I had it multiple times where I was like, "Oh my god, like, are we gonna die? Like, are mm. we gonna be sacrificed?" And I was like, "Well, I, I guess if that's my min- that's my path. That's my path. <laughs> <laughs> Got to accept it, right?" Mm. But when I we when we were at Tikal, um, you know, like, you know, there weren't many locals there actually. Like it really wasn't like when when you look at the shots, like I posted a video on my Instagram of like the fire ceremony starting. It's like all of us, all the people who came to the, mm-hmm. from the festival to be there. And then there was a few artists, but there weren't many locals where I imagined, you know, 50, 60 years ago, that place was probably packed with locals who'd be there for, you know, for a ceremony, for an honoring of this time. So for me, it was really sad to be like, oh yeah, like this is really bad. And when I, when I learned about this story about, the, the genocide, it was from a woman in San Marcos and we were talking and I was like, hey, where, where are all the elders? You know, where, where are these cacao shamans? Like, I want to like find them. You know, Keith Wilson's great, but he's a he's a white guy. Like, where is the where's the real rich culture? And then she's like, you know, like they were basically genocided. Um, you know, if you were practicing medicine or you were an activist or you were in the arts or a musician and you had power, like they were specifically targeting you and killing you and, and her family actually were her mother and father were both professors at a university and they had to go into hiding and change their name and their identity specifically to to carry on some certain uh teachings that they that they yeah, held very yeah. close mm. to them so mm. it was just like knowing that history and then going back again and being like oh yeah it's still broken here and for me, like, as, like, you know, like, a British, you know, indigenous British person, you know, like, of, like, Ireland and Scotland, and, like, I, I'm kind of, like, somewhat ashamed of what has happened in, in that time. It's been really hard for for that for that culture, what, what they've been through for the last, you know, 2,000 years of, of genocide in their own right. But to be, like, in this place where, you know, I'm actually not super connected to my my close family. So for me... I'm more connected to my soul family and like to the friends that I resonate with and to the tribe that I'm cultivating mm-hmm. and just being more in the space of like, we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's, let's take down all these, all this social programming that you're black, you're white and you're Asian. And we have these differences. It's like, no, we're, we're human. We live on the earth. We're just trying to cohabitat. We're trying to survive. Let's do it together. Let's thrive together. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, you know, sharing the cacao, even like I get questioned a lot about it, truthfully. And I question myself around it. But when it comes to the, when it, at the end of the day, for me, it's, it's just like a way to link the tribes. It's a way to bring people together. Like Dave says, like, get out of the mind, into the heart, into the body, you know, breathe together, move together, feel together, you know, like, yeah, ayahuasca is great and mushrooms are great and all these powerful medicines, but not everyone can do those things. Not everyone feels safe and ready yet. Mm-hmm. But with cacao, it's like, dude, it's just chocolate. It's all good, you know, and, <laughs> and, and trying my best to be, you know, respecting that medicine and showing reverence for using it each week and anytime mm-hmm. is like something I'm striving to better myself at doing Mm. but uh i'm in a state of growing i'm 29 years old like you know i've been working with cacao for three four years now and Mm -hmm. you know i I don't have that like 
First Nations of like Guatemalan like elder to to like lead me on this journey and and that's like with a lot of people right now we're all kind of starting fresh. We're, I actually feel like we're really starting to channel like the ancient ones who were before you know mm. and they're kind of like coming through us now and sharing in this new way this this new age spirituality way and it's exciting and it's it's hard and it's challenging and there's lots of blocks and but we're learning you know we're learning and we're growing and i think the most important thing is just to stay open to criticism stay open to dialoguing this stuff and mm. as long as we can stay open about talking i think a lot more is going to unfold in a in a positive way yeah yeah, but I would love to dive into like Takao because we're like we're like an hour in and we haven't even talked about that yeah. yet. Yeah, yeah. I I was. Do you do you want to jump in, Dave? Or I I could jump in. Too. I guess the only thing I would jump in on that is this was the nature of the journey. Mm-hmm. This kind of conversation, this kind of connection, interaction, was the nature of the journey. Um, this happened throughout, and like Ryan was saying, like I met so many of my mirrors there. Mm-hmm. It was uncanny. I could sit by a guy on a bus going from one place to another, have a conversation with him, and I was like, I was talking to myself. Mm. He was like, yep, me too. Like, F you, me too. How do you know? How do you know? Never Mm. met this guy in my life. Mm. Meet a sister, same thing. It Mm. was just so beautiful to have people mirror you and you mirror them and say, hey, that that shit's kind of scary. That shit's really amazing. Thank you for holding space. And I want to talk about um, the one instance we had. As a man, I, I part of the journey for me on this trip um, was was brotherhood. I tend to journey a lot on my own when I travel places. So I just go. Because I don't want to be constrained by other people's lives. <laughs> I just want to do my own. Um, but especially, I've, I've always struggled to find brothers that I could spend time with in a prolonged period of time and and be vulnerable out there in the world with and I found two or two found me or we found each other I'm not sure how that works <laughs> nice. maybe all of it um, but that was my first trip with two other men ever in my life mm-hmm. going somewhere same here it was the first time ever and mm-hmm. it was probably one of the deepest emotionally connecting trips I've ever had. Um, and I, it was interesting because we started to run into other men who were looking for men like us. Mm-hmm. Remember we were sitting at the table, that picnic table one day, and a sister of ours sat down and she was a little distraught. And we were having this conversation about vulnerability and old traumas. And um, Ryan shared one and somebody else shared one. And it opened her up. And so imagine one sister sitting around, sitting in with a table full of brothers. And we're talking deep, hurt shit. And so she piped in and said, this happened to me. And this happened to her at this festival. It was a traumatic situation. But she reached out to us and saying, I can share this with you. I trust you brothers to hear me and hold me and to help me. And I'm like, holy shit, that was just a breakthrough moment for, I think, all of us. Because we all held her, we all listened to her, we all trusted her, we all believed her. And we listened with our hearts. And we asked her how to help. And she let us know. It was beautiful. And it just, I don't, it was just that, that kind of culminated 
all of that journey because to me and I'm going to launch here into the into Cal now one of the things that resonated with me and still resonates with me is this notion or this movement whatever word works of uniting the feminine and the masculine mm-hmm. not just in the physical way but in a spiritual, emotional, mental way in ourselves. Like we all have feminine, we all have masculine in us. Unfortunately, the balance gets a little skewed for a number of different reasons. And I'm hopeful that we can find ways to come together to help each other through our collective trauma. Because getting through our collective trauma is the way we're going to build family and community. As long as we lose collective trauma to keep us separated, we're never going to find that way together. And so when I was there and that fire ceremony was was happening, and when I heard the elders talk about, let's get past just talking. Let's get down to doing shit. Like, let's get down to doing shit. Talking, we've been talking long enough. Let's do shit. And they talked about the coming together of the the feminine and the masculine. Because without it, the earth is never going to ascend. Mm. And that's our job now is to help earth ascend. Mm-hmm. And that's the coming together of that masculine and that feminine energies. Yeah. And so, I don't know if you guys want to talk about some of the other stuff that we did at Takao. Oh, well, yeah. I think yeah, it's cool that, like, because, like, remember uh, you guys went off to go get shorts and stuff because, again, we had no bags. And, <laughs> and then yeah. in that journey of them going off, you know, and, and, uh, and that whole thing, uh, they ended up running into t- another group of people, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna go to Tikal for sunrise, and then we have three spots left. Do you guys want to co- jump in?" <laughs> and of course, you guys are like, uh, yeah. <laughs> "Yeah." Yeah. So that night, we we ended up staying up basically all night, maybe a few hours of sleep, and then went to Tikal at this three uh, thirty in the morning shuttle yeah. to make it there for sunrise mm-hmm. to yeah. witness the sun yeah. rising over the Jaguar Temple. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty magical. That was yeah, it was pretty incredible. It felt like there was this palpable energy in the air that day. It was the winter solstice. It was the winter solstice day, 3.30 in the morning. And um, yeah, there was this, it was intense. There was like an intensity, uh, a beauty to it. There was just a weight to it, you know? Mm. Like I was thinking a lot about my ancestors and uh, like my grandfather. And uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I just kept thinking about my grandfather. And, um, and I thought like, wow, my grandfather, he's like, he was like, he's from Italy and he's like, indig- he was like indigenous to Italy. And it was just totally mind blowing to me. Like he's, he was there for like, however many, my whole ancestry. And, um, and I thought like, wow, when did that you know, kind of bring it back to what we were talking about earlier. When did that distinction come of what is indigenous and what's not? Where did that even come from? Like, it is a social construct. Because mm-hmm. we're all from this earth. Mm-hmm. And we all, if we go back into our ancestry, we all have a place where our ancestors were living. Which would make us, at least at some point, like, all indigenous to the earth, right? Like, because we all came from uh, an ancestral homeland at some point. And, uh, yeah, it was just really, cause I, in a way I denied that, 
part like my in a way I denied my ancestry. You know that that was something that came up for me in a big way that day. Like I denied maybe I was like ashamed of my own ancestry mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but you go back, but, but like pre colonization, and then what was then? All of our ancestors were like, you know, just living off the land in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was really interesting. Like, and it felt like it was really emotional. It was really emotional. And, um, and then, yeah, we watched the sun rise from the top of the temple. Hiked, hiked through the dark, through yeah, the we, jungle. Yeah, we hiked through the jungle in the dark as, as the howler monkeys. They just screamed in the jungle. Like 50, Sounds like, like t- dinosaurs. Like 15 feet away from us, yeah. there's like howler monkeys going like, yeah. <laughs> like it was crazy. It was and that's so symbolic, though, you know? Like, <laughs> like I remember walking in that jungle. We just had our, like it was pitch dark. And we had our little headlight things on, yeah. and wherever the light was shining is where you could see. But when everything was just so dark, felt so vulnerable because it felt like everything in the jungle could see you, and mm. it could hear you, but you couldn't see it except for when it made its voice. Yeah. And I remember we were walking, and we stopped to talk about something, and somebody looked up, and they're like, "Holy shit! There's temples. We're at the base of temples. It was so dark that when we looked up, you could start then see the outlines of the temples against the stars. Yeah, and we're like, oh my god, there's temples right here. We're standing in bottom of temples right now. And we didn't even realize that yeah. until that moment. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we finally made it up to Temple Four and went up to the very very top to mm. sit with like maybe like 50 other people yeah and i had a little tibetan bowl pulled up my tibetan bowl i was gonna bring a crystal bowl but then apparently they, they weren't gonna let me in so I, I didn't try to do that but we had a tibetan bowl we had a brick of cacao dave had some tobacco and we yeah. just like had our own little micro ceremony mm. while we watched the sunrise yeah. oh. and, we, and we live streamed it so you can you can check it out on ryan yeah, michael kelly's yeah. uh facebook page. yeah i did i live streamed the sunrise i uh you know um a little a little fact about what happened. So I was given an incense by one of the people who worked in the park, like a local a local man. He gave me an incense to light as the sun rose, right? And I felt like, wow, what an honor. This is a privilege and an honor. I'm going to light this incense, you know? And uh, and so I didn't have a lighter. I was up there. I didn't have a lighter. And I was I kept asking people for a lighter. And everyone was just like, what the fuck are you talking to me for? <laughs> <laughs> like everyone was like because like the the sun was gonna rise within like 10 minutes or something and everybody's in silence and everyone's smoke. in total silence and i'm just like hey do you have a lighter <laughs> hey do you have a lighter and everyone's like no i don't have a lighter <laughs> and i was uh i was freaking out because i'm like why didn't i bring a lighter i should have had a lighter i knew i needed a lighter and why didn't i bring and i was like freaking out at myself and it became very symbolic of me of how I just, my mind, it's just like, I'm savage to myself. Like, I just beat up on mm. myself. I'm like, with my mind, I'm just judging myself. And as as the sun rose, we did end up finding a lighter. One of the guides, Jesse, was just like, hey, hey, lighter. Yeah. He's like, eh. yeah, <laughs> just threw that. it up to us. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny. And uh, as the sun came up, it washed away all of this grief and anxiety that I felt was just washed away watching the sunrise on the solstice on the top of a temple, a temple which is designed and built to be aligned with the sun at this exact moment. 
mm-hmm. for thousands of years ago. They mm-hmm. built it to align with this exact moment. And here we were standing there. And just it was just profound. Mm-hmm. It was really profound. Yeah. And holding a brick of cacao as well. Yeah. As as the ancestors of that land thousands of years ago, they held cacao in that spot and held ceremony in that spot. And like, wow, I've never yeah, I've never felt anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When that was going on, there was this um it had gotten a little windy just before the sun was came up. And there was this like this thick fist like mist or fog or a cloud mm. that came through that it was thick enough that you could feel like you could step on it and ride it it was that <laughs> thick and i was like oh no it's gonna get cloudy and we're not gonna be able to see anything mm. but as the sun came up it burned that away mm. and it cooled everything it was so neat and then when jesse brought out his tibetan bowl he started playing it and the people so we're up sitting up on a ledge the highest ledge that you can get up on the the temple and we're sitting up there and Jesse starts sounding his bowl. The people below were like, what the hell? Like, they were looking like, is that real? Am I hearing this? Like, it was so awesome. It was so awesome yeah. to see that. And then they realized that he was indeed playing it, that they weren't imagining it. Yeah. But it was just one of those magic moments up there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 And it was so beautiful. Like, after, the, after like, you know, the, the sun rose... Then all the the tours kind of took off, and mm-hmm. we made a collective decision to not go with our tour and just stay on that temple for a good hour. Like we were up there for a long, long time yeah. during like peak sun. I remember I fell asleep just like face down on the rock. Yeah, <laughs> so tired, not yeah. sleeping all night. Yeah, and then yeah, just like integrating and and like singing into the sound chamber. Oh yeah, and, yeah that was beautiful. And, and having an opportunity just to have our own little ceremony with that with that spot in that place with those people and, yeah and then getting to explore like you know just walking around and just seeing these massive temples which the stairwells up to the top of these temples like they're big steps they were not made for humans to walk mm-hmm. up it actually looks more like they built it so that if a human tried to get up that temple quickly it would be very challenging for them mm-hmm. um and then there's also uh like all these temples that are just buried everywhere and i know after the fact i think dave you sent me that video of like they did a they did a sonar scan of like this like 10 mile radius around Tikal, and there's just like thousands of temples like and you can see there's like these mounds of of dirt with with like you know uh trees and and nature growing out of it but it's like wow that's most definitely a temple and like how far down does that go Mm -hmm. and if that goes down then like how far down does this really go Mm -hmm. and how much more is down there that we don't know about and then with that sonar scan it's like Mm -hmm. a lot yeah you know um and it's cool that like uh there's a lot that's undiscovered yeah that's pretty exciting and we really take Mm -hmm. for granted on how much history we walk on every day mm-hmm. you know like what's under your feet every single day wherever you go there's so much under your feet that you just take for granted that it's just there mm-hmm. and um it was really amazing to be someplace where some things so old as they are could be visible and you could mm-hmm. actually touch them you could feel mm-hmm. them you could hug them you could lean up on them um and it was just so open for communication. Like there were so many stories that I heard there of people receiving things and thoughts and images and and hearing things that really helped them on their journey while they were there. It was so cool. Mm. It was so, so cool. Yeah. There was, um, yeah, there was this real magic in the air. You know, there's real magic. And it it was interesting because the locals, they could like 
they just knew and they kind of like you could see that they just understood like mm-hmm. being there and working there they just like they just know yeah. right they just mm-hmm. feel it they just live it and experience mm-hmm. it and this is their life and their their ancestry and like there's this real profundity to it um when we went to the fire uh the area of the fire and um there are people playing traditional Guatemalan music and and I just felt like so grateful that I'm like wow there's like a profundity to it in that they weren't allowed to do this they were suppressed and they couldn't do this and then here they are just sharing their culture with us mm-hmm, yeah you know and just how how beautiful that is and how I was very grateful um to experience that mm-hmm. and then also to be invited in because we were there pretty early, yeah. uh, like before the whole festival got there, actually, because we came for the sunrise. And so we were there at the fire, um, the spot for the fire, which is in between two gigantic temples, too. Like two massive te- and other temples other than that, but two massive yeah. pyramid temples. Yeah, like uh, how, how tall are those temples? They think it be like two, three hundred feet. Yeah, it was like 300 feet. Yeah, it's it's huge. And um, one of them, it's like the Grand Jaguar Temple, and that's like the masculine, the king's temple. And then across from it is this this temple that represents the feminine for the queen, and they represent masculine and feminine, right? And the balance. And um, so it's interesting you were talking about that, because, yeah, the elders, they were talking about how that's, that's why these were built. These were built to represent that. And that's why we're here doing this ceremony. That's why this is the place for ceremony mm-hmm. uh, at that time, too, specifically. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was it was really beautiful because as the wisdom keepers, they were setting up the fire and they were unwrapping. They had, like, medicines and candles. And then and then they invited us to, to help them. Actually, they were coming up to They are like, will you help us? Like, will you help us, like, unwrap the candles? And, yeah. And there's copal and and they're like, hey, yeah. can you help unwrap this? And we unwrapped the copal, like it was it was such it an was honor. Magical. Yeah. It was such an honor mm. to be just so welcomed mm-hmm. in that way, um, and in a moment feeling like, should we be sitting here? Like, are we? Is this <laughs> like really? It was kind of like, oh, this is like, like questioning that in a way, but then being so welcomed and and invited to actually like help set up the ceremony mm-hmm. so that was a beautiful moment yeah. yeah there was an interesting like um the role fire played at mine heart um there was not just that not only at the the Takao ceremony but out where there was a dance space at the festival grounds itself there was a fire pit and at night that fire would get lit and people would come and gather around there and often late into the night, sometimes to the early morning, and the magic that would occur around that fire is just something mm-hmm. else. Like some nights, Jesse had his bowls out there, and then uh, somebody would be singing and sounding his bowls. There are people who bring their guitars out. A, a violin came out, and all these like super creative people, innovative people, just brought their voices, and we sang together, we talked together, but most importantly we sat in recognition of each other every night around that fire. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, like, to me, that's what community is. That's what family is. That's what, you know, sometimes you have to travel so far to find people who can relate to you in those kinds of ways. But sometimes we're just around the corner from each other, too. 
you know. But that gathering around the fire, there's something about that. Mm-hmm. There really is something about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, well, then the fire ceremony commenced, and there mm-hmm. were like maybe like 300 of us all crowded around this fire in this big yeah. open plot of space and land. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was real beautiful. There were like eight Mayan elders and mm-hmm. Carlos Berrios kind of opened up the circle. And oh, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was really epic. And like Dave saying, he was kind of like making a call to action, mm-hmm. talking about how we'd, um, we, we, like one third of the population of the planet won't have access to clean water in the next 50 years. And like it's time in for the, us. In all, the next 20 years. Like 20 years, yeah. yeah. And so, like, it's really time for us to to act if we feel the call to mm. do so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which for me was very inspiring because I'm acting a lot, but it just kind of pushed me to act more mm. in a certain way. And and the fire ceremony was amazing. Like in a fire, a mind fire ceremony, it seems like in my three experiences now, it's kind of like they they call in an energy, they honor an energy which has specific value and intention, and then we we offer to the fire on behalf of that. That energy, and I'm not even sure how many. Is it twenty? It's twenty. Yeah, the twenty. I think it's twenty. So we basically offered twenty different times to the fire in this beautiful community way, and it was very like unifying because we're all like celebrating that together. Uh, like mm-hmm. we're calling in the energy of of Ashkan. Like Ashkan means this, and it's like ah, you know, we'd all get like riled up about it, and like yeah. all right, now we're gonna give away this to the fire, and it's like. Yeah. I remember at the end of the fire ceremony, <laughs> I remember Shuni was just like, all right, everyone, this is like, this is the big one. All right. We're going to, we're going to give everything to the fire for this one. People were taking off their shirts and throwing food, and just throwing money. money. People were like, people were crying. Yeah, people were yeah. throwing everything. It was just mayhem. Yeah. Absolute mayhem. I remember at one point I ran up to the, one of the top in the top middle between the two temples and I just had to take a video of like wow look at this this is like so powerful so so powerful mm. yeah that was like a pretty memorable experience mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah Carlos Berrios was like he was really he was like the main wisdom keeper um, and he's like uh, one of the elders right and it's interesting actually because so I read his book uh, in 2012, right? He read a, he wrote a book, The Book of Destiny, The Mind Prophecy of 2012, Carlos Berrios. And um so he he's preserved the lineage of the Mayan uh wisdom, right? Like it was it was passed down orally when the when the conquistadors came, they hid in the mountains to uh to preserve the wisdom orally. Because almost all of the records were actually destroyed by the conquistadors intentionally to destroy their culture. Like they burned all their their books and their recordings. They had complex mathematical calculations and astronomical calculations um, monitoring the stars thousands and thousands of years in advance and into the past, right? Like they had had extensive records and, and, uh, and wisdom, which much of it was destroyed but then carlos has carried the the lineage forward and he's he's a central figure in like kind of like reclaiming the culture and bringing it back and this this resurgence right which is which is happening right now 
And so he uh, he did speak very powerfully. It felt like a, a transmission. Like we were literally standing like right in front of him. It was amazing. Mm, we were yeah. just standing yeah. right, and he was like looking right at us. And I, it was it was powerful. And it was a call to action. It was like that was his central message. And it was like we need to take action because this is an emergency. Mm-hmm. So when we have these kind of debates, um, you know about semantics. It's like there's an issue. About the semantic, no, it's not semantics, but about like, should we use cacao or should you sell cacao? Or if you're white, should you be using cacao? It's like, that's all, in my opinion, it's this bullshit distraction when we're in an emergency situation and that stuff doesn't really matter because the the world is falling apart around us. And that doesn't matter so much when, like, it, of course, it's to be respectful but it's like we need to band together right now and we need to get beyond all these disagreements, mm-hmm. which we're always going to disagree. We're always going to disagree about things. That's just life. Mm-hmm. People don't agree about everything. But there, we can agree that. Well, hopefully we can agree that there's an emergency situation in the earth that people are dying, that the world is desertifying. The forests are still being cut down. The oceans are being destroyed. All the life in the oceans is dying. All the life on the world is dying. We're in a mass extinction. And it's all at least significantly caused by humans. If not entirely because of humans, we, we're pl- definitely a contributing factor. And, mm-hmm. and we need to acknowledge that and come together uh, for our own well-being to preserve the earth. Uh, to preserve the water, to preserve life, right? And that's that's just a universal call, right? Like that's not about culture. That's not about our skin color. That's that's life. That's like, do we do we honor life? Do we want to preserve life? And what are we gonna do about it if we want to preserve life, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> and if we don't, if and if there are some of us that don't, then what tools are available to us to help them honor life huh. and bring them back in connection to Earth? Yeah, you Educate. know. And I, I think it's time for that. Yeah, I was told a story once by an uncle, and um, I'm always amazed and humbled <clears throat> by such people who have suffered through so many things, but still have this generosity about themselves and um, the things they know in their knowledge. And what he says, he goes, you know, people are coming to all cu- our cultures um, here in North America um, because we've been inundated with colonialism, say, for 500 years or so. So we still have a lot of connection to Earth. We still have a lot of the Earth understandings, those Earth teachings um, and ceremonies in some ways and, and language. And he goes, you know, for all things that I've been subjected to, residential schools and, and things like that, he goes, um, I need to remember and I need to remind you that those people have been subjected to colonialism for over thousands of years. So they're coming to us because we still have the connection. We still have the understanding to help them regain theirs. And so that's why for me, I can reconcile and I'm using reconcile very on purpose. Um, reconciliation is not a political thing. Reconciliation is a thing between human beings. Yeah. 
Mm. How do we help each other grow? Mm-hmm. How do we help each other flourish? How do we help each other understand our connection to earth? Mm. And how do we look after her? Because that's where it begins and that's where it ends. Without that, I don't give a shit how fancy your car is, how shiny your house is. It ain't going to matter. We mm. all die at the end of the day. And what do we do for our future generations coming? How do we become good ancestors? How are we helping them have a good life and thrive in a way that's beneficial to the earth and to them? Mm. I think that's our job. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's, that's, that's a... Yeah. yeah. Love wow. it. Well, I think that's Thank a perfect you. place to wrap up and yeah. to uh, put a pause on this very inspired and very potent uh, discussion. Um, because it's so true. It's so true. Mm-hmm. When you don't have that, when you don't have the earth and connection to it and connection to yourself as a human mm. and food to eat and a place to live and water to drink, people to love, mm. you don't have anything, mm. right? And, and you know, we hear these stories about millionaires and billionaires that are depressed and are on all the drugs mm. and are, you know, just like they're, 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 they're insane, depressed humans. And yet our culture praises them because they have a bunch of zeros in their bank account mm. from whatever activity they've been focused on, right? And so it really is, you know, um, recognizing the insanity that's been going on and then bringing it back to simple, basic, foundational things. Mm-hmm. How can you lend a helping hand? How, how can I contribute? How can I be of service in any small way, right? Because it all adds up. And I don't want anyone listening to feel overwhelmed or uh, hopeless, right? Mm. In, you know, the, the, the sometimes, um, you know, very hard to digest situation, right, that we're in, right? Because it's like, we're here, we might as well make the best of what we've got and keep contributing and go down. If we're going to go down, might as well go down fighting, being of service and fighting for what's right, mm. yeah. right? Because otherwise, you know... You're just not gonna. You're gonna regret. You might. You might have regret. I don't want to speak for anybody, but you might have regret, and you might have some karmic whatever repercussions. Who knows? Anyways, that's beside the point. Um, I really think that this kind of awareness is so so important, right? And it's not something that I typically talk about on this show, but it's something that I really want to talk about more to spread this conversation, um, and ultimately to drive it into action. Right to see how can we reconnect to the land in a more everyday way, in a way that sustains us, right? In a way that we can grow more of our own food, mm-hmm. in a way that we can purify more of our own water, you know, whatever it is, harness more of our own energy, um, which I believe is where a lot of this is going, right? Is is sustainable, ecocentric, human centric communities that uh, I think are going to become sort of beacons of healing and like you said, a reconciliation from the chaos of cities. And so that's mm-hmm. where I see a lot of this going. It's where I want to go in my own personal journey and practice. And, you know, service is to provide those spaces. And uh, I am just feel so blessed and so much in gratitude to have brothers that are on this path and that are sharing their experiences and that are living into this chaotic unknown Right, and all of its beauty and all of its pain and all of the mm-hmm. uncertainty and um yeah, it's like we just gotta, you know, keep walking this path together and uh you know, joining hearts and joining hands and, and doing what we can. Mm-hmm. So I thank all of y'all 
for being here. Um, for everyone who's been listening, every I'll have some show notes with names mentioned, resources mentioned, links, things you can look up if you want to dive deeper. Over at the blog at brianhardy.ca forward slash Toronto Tribe is what this episode will be under. Um, and then uh, we'll just do a quick go around for people. We'll start with Ryan. If people wanted to connect or find your music or follow you or get connected on social or anything like that, what are the best places for that to happen? Yeah, you can find me, Ryan Michael Kelly, on uh, on Facebook. And and my Instagram is uh, is Makchiraban. You got to spell that. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, uh, that's Gaelic. That's Gaelic. It's the Irish language. It's the uh, language of, uh, of my ancestry. And so you can spell that M-A-C-T-I-R-E-B-A-N. Okay. Amazing. Powerful. Uh, Jesse Buck, like the deer, Buck. Uh, you can find me on all social media platforms. You can find me out there. Uh, and also Chocolate Groove, every Wednesday at Alternity. Chocolate Groove, dance celebrations on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Check it out. Yeah, Dave Martin. Um, you can find me on Facebook or on a dance floor at the Groove or Ecstatic Dance with Dover Court. I'm always there, Groove in Love. <laughs> <laughs> okay, y'all. If you've been listening, I hope you leave inspired. Uh, I hope you leave wiser, more connected, and that uh, you can reach out and touch the earth. Grab a tree, drink some spring water, do whatever you need to do to maintain connection because uh, that's, that's, I think, why we're here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Until next time, be well. Thank you for tuning in, and keep redefining reality. Much love. To the sun when I heard that song of sweet devotion. A many roots stood together, two miles above the ocean. I didn't know the words, but the tone was clear. A gift to the gods of the atmosphere, yeah. A memory locked in time, and a melody for humankind. You open up, open up your heart. Let the love come shine. Open up, open up your heart Let the love come shining, love come shining in Come shining in As I looked to the south, above the clouds Mona Kea stood tall, Mona Loa stood proud And the roots still stood together Taking in that island weather And as the music faded Well, it elders stayed in open mind It's not enough, it's time to welcome in that love So open up, open up your heart Open up, open up your heart 
下